Please speak to us and reveal more of yourself to us today. In your name we pray. Amen. Merci. Thanks for joining us. Uh, if you have a Bible, would you open to 1 Timothy chapter 6, please? We're going to finish the series we've been going through on the church that Jesus died for. And um, we've been looking at a lot of actually pretty foundational, fundamental things, not a lot of fresh insights, so much as reminders to say this is what he intended. How are we lining up with that? Um, and this morning is against the backdrop of Thanksgiving, and that's on purpose because the thing that Jesus expects from us um, this morning in particular is something that uh, really requires the just abundant and never-ending generosity of God in our lives. So this week as we celebrate Thanksgiving, there's this reminder that God cares for us, he provides for us, and he's never going to stop doing that. So in 1 Timothy chapter 6, I just want to read three verses to get us thinking. And uh, if you want to follow along, it says this, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides, him, provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So, I charge you to be generous. Amen. We'll spend the rest of the time fleshing that out just a little bit, but that's what this passage says is charge those who are rich in this world not to get stuck up, not to trust in themselves. In fact, keep anchored in the reality of God and his character and his generosity. And then not to, to trust in the things that they have, but instead look at those as gifts from God. Gifts to be enjoyed and gifts to be shared. It's always been God's pattern that he blesses his people so that we can in turn be a blessing. And part of that is he blesses me so that I can enjoy what he's doing in my life and I can also share that with others. And this passage goes beyond just money. I want to call that out because we want to talk about generosity. And generosity is not, um, it's not just a, I open my wallet and hand something over. It is a heart posture first and foremost. He starts by saying, charge the rich in this world not to have this kind of heart, but instead have this kind of heart, right? It starts in my heart and then it expresses through everything that I have. Not just my money, that's clearly a central part of the context, but also through my energy, my time, what I do, who I am, because it talks about being rich in good works. So the question we want to wrestle with this morning, the church Jesus died for, the one that he had in mind, is a new people who are fundamentally defined by their generosity. They have an openness of heart and an openness of hand. There are behaviors and patterns of life 
There are uh, postures, there's perspectives, there's things that we just should look at differently, and that should open us up to live differently in the world at a most fundamental and freeing kind of way. So the question to wrestle with is, am I generous? Am I generous? And then collectively, are we generous? Because everything that we talk about in this series has to do with me personally, but then us as a community. It's not just the, the, the uh, universal church that has individual members, but typically it's talking about a church with a zip code. So what does this community look like? Am I personally somebody who's generous? And are we as a community people who are generous? Is that something that we're actually known for or not? And so what does God want to um, do in my heart this morning in that zone? And I want to just talk about a couple of things kind of to set up some guardrails so that we can keep those in the back of our minds. I don't have to constantly be making qualifiers. But as we talk about generosity, it's easy for us to um, kind of either go overboard or be afraid of going overboard. And so we uh, set up fences that keep us from going where we're supposed to go. So when we talk about generosity, whether it's generosity of my stuff or whether it's generosity of my energy or my time or my talents, whatever it is that I'm being generous with, it is true that there are boundary points, right? I, I, I am not the creator. I'm a creature. I am not infinite. I am finite. And that's on purpose, right? God does not expect me to meet every need. He doesn't expect me to respond to every need. He doesn't expect me to serve every purpose. He expects me to partner with him and be generous in that, but there are boundaries. The challenge is that I can either ignore boundaries and be foolish, or I can lean too hard into boundaries and forget that the one who's drawing the boundaries is fundamentally selfish. So I may be drawing boundaries that God has no intention of being there. And so a a generous heart is one that is willing to um, live within proper bounds, but also is willing to question that and say, Maybe God's calling me further than I thought. Right, the same thing has to do with the, the, the fence, if you will, of wisdom. We want to be wise. When we talk about money, for instance, uh, you should pay your bills. You should save money. You should budget. You, sh- you should do those things. You shouldn't spend what you don't have. Those are all biblical principles, and we're not going to unsay those things. But a heart of generosity goes beyond that. It is not is not imprisoned by that. That's a tool that helps me, but it's not the ultimate goal. And wisdom, at its heart, is not, do I have a good approach to my 401k? Or do I have a solid budget that I'm living with? The fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. And then other things flow from that. So even as we talk about generosity, there may be things that God challenges, and not just about my money. It could be about my time. It could be about my energy. It could be about how I invest my very self. That I want to be wise. I need to be wise, but I need to be very careful to keep wisdom in its proper place and understand that it's the fear of the Lord that's the foundation. When we talk about generosity, we're not actually talking about surplus. Surplus is a good thing, and when I've got surplus time, surplus energy, surplus talent, surplus funds, whatever it is, God's given those to me for a reason. Why? That's a good question. Enjoying part of it? Absolutely. The passage said so. Giving part of it away? Absolutely. 
But when we talk about generosity, we're generally talking about going beyond surplus to a place of sacrifice, to a place where I have to actually surrender something that is not as easy to do. But fundamentally, we have to come back to the question. He says, charge the rich in this world, boil it down, to be generous. Are we generous? Am I generous? And lest we trip on that phrase, the rich in this world, let me just remind us of something that we know in the back of our minds, but we don't really think of. I went onto the Pew Research uh, website last night. They have a calculator, and so here's the best I understand it. Here's the numbers. If you have a household of four people, and your household income is 100000 or more, which sounds like a lot of money, but that's two very entry-level professionals if you've got two, in, two incomes, right? You are in the top 7% of incomes in the world you're wealthy, right? And that's if you have four people. If there's three or two or one, that's, that's even wealthier, right? If, if you have an income of $40,000 a year, you're in the top 20%, more or less. Right? So everyone in this room, however frugal, however modest, however constrained we may even feel, in a sense, qualify as, as wealthy. And so the passage applies to us. This is a passage where Paul is urging Timothy as a pastor to speak to this reality within your congregation. We need to be generous people. So it's the same thing for us. How are we doing in generosity? Is that something that rightly defines us or not? And I suspect a lot of us have actually cultivated a heart of generosity and practices of generosity. And so it's a question of saying, all right, it's a good time for a checkup. Where's my heart in this? And is God calling me to anything new? Not in a moralistic, come on guys, we can do better kind of way, but where's my heart in this? Because if my heart's right and I have built a pattern of, of listening to and following God, then the behaviors will follow. Where's my heart in this? Do I have a heart of generosity? And then how does that show and what I do with things like my time and my, my money and so on? Um, I think we're kind of preaching to the choir here. Don't know who's tuned in online, but a lot of people are regular tuning in. So probably most of us have already, we don't have to be convinced. Yes, Jesus, you know, God so loved the world that he gave, right? It, it, Jesus said uh, in Mark 10, 45, even the Son of Man, which is a lofty term, even the Son of Man didn't come into the world to, serve, uh, to be served, but to serve and to, to give, right? Paul is talking, and he says at one point, I am most willing, as my rough paraphrase, to spend and be spent on your behalf. Over and over again, we see the examples where we even have contrasts, where you'll have the, the widow who tosses in her who two copper coins, who's giving just everything she has. And there's the wealthier coming in and giving large sums, but it's kind of out of their surplus, and she's giving out of her just generous sacrifice. Or in, in Luke, almost back to back, we have the story of the rich young ruler who is kept from God by his heart for things. And then we have Zacchaeus, whose heart for God is shown because his heart about things changes. And he immediately opens up, right? Jesus says to the rich young ruler, uh, okay, give everything away. And he says, I can't do that. And um, 
To follow Jesus, in one sense, is actually to do that. It's to say, everything I have is yours. Everything I am is yours. He doesn't usually say, so then, therefore, take it out of your wallet and hand it all over to somebody else. He usually says, it can stay in your wallet, but your wallet's mine too. Your pocket's mine. In fact, the hip that it rides on is mine. You are mine. So I want you to live with that in mind. And then I want you to live the way that I would express in the world. Take who you are and what you have and share that in a way that would bless others and would honor me. Do I have a generous heart? Exhort to urge, um, call the rich in this world to be generous. Call my people to be generous. Am I generous? You know, there's hurdles that we have to overcome. Usually for most of us, I suspect it's not be convinced that that's right. We know that's right. It's just, it gets lost. So um, a couple of quick ones. I want to focus on one that I actually find most challenging most often. Um, one is, is kind of a perspective thing. And um, it's an old joke, so some of you will know it. Some of you aren't that old, so maybe it'll be fresh to you. But you, you've heard you can't take it with you. And yet there was this guy who went to heaven and, and found a loophole. And he took a, an entire suitcase full of gold bullion with him. Right, and he gets in, he gets it through the gate, and, and immediately the angels whisk him off to where he's going to stay, and they're like concierge people and, and like the hotel staff, and they're, they're helping him get settled into his quarters, and, and one angel opens up his suitcase to unpack it, and he looks at it, and he points to the angel, other angel, and they just look at each other crazy, and they go, why did he bring asphalt with him? Right, it's like the streets are made out of, why did he bring that? doesn't make sense, right? The, the joke is corny. But the perspective is significant. There are things that we value, that we treasure in this moment that they have a measure of value, but there's a bigger picture. And so sometimes in my own heart, in my own life, part of my challenge of, of being generous and staying generous is, is that I sometimes lose sight of the bigger picture. That's, that's a true thing that happens sometimes. Um, I think another thing that can happen is I um, don't really believe the Bible? I mean, I believe it, but I don't. Acts 20, 35, there's a verse that is given where it's a saying of Jesus that's not recorded in the Gospels. It's like a bonus verse. Paul's talking to the leaders in Ephesus, and he's saying, um, you know, I won't give you the whole context, but the verse itself is, Jesus himself said to us, it is more blessed to give than to receive. You know how I read that and how I suspect a lot of us read that? It's more virtuous to give than to receive. And I make it all about this is the right way to live and this is the right discipline to have. And, and, and there, it is more virtuous in, in its own way, sure. But now I've cast it in terms of, of responsibility and cost and obligation. And there is a cost to being generous. And it is an obligation, it's a responsibility. But now I've, I've cast it in those terms and that's not the terms that it's cast in by Jesus. It's like this is, this is cool. This is awesome. This is the blessing. Imagine something that you've always wanted that's super generous that suddenly shows up at your doorstep. It's your birthday. It's Christmas. Somebody just shows up unannounced and says, here you go. Fill in the blank. What is it? It's this, oh, wow, it's a, this, this, it's a Porsche 911. How cool is that? Or it's, it's tickets to that show in Broadway that nobody can get. And, and three nights in this fancy hotel. Or 
fill in the blank. I, I don't know, something extravagant and something that you would love. Wouldn't that be so cool? You'd feel so blessed. That's so amazing. And what he's saying is, yeah, that is cool, but it's even, it's even more cool. It's even more blessed. It's even more amazing. It's even more delightful to be able to give. When I, when I, when I read that verse and think about that verse, I, I subtly switch the value statements and I change it from blessed to virtue. It's more virtuous to give. I get that. It's like, well, that's true, but what he's actually saying is, no, it's, if I can say it this way, it's just more cool. This is amazing. You're going to get so much fun out of this, so much delight out of this. You will be so blessed. And I, I can miss that. But I think the one that I probably struggle with more, and I suspect a lot of us do, when it comes to sustaining a life of generosity, is that I, I wind up with a scarcity mindset. The mindset that there's only so much money. There's only so much time. There's only so much energy. And in one sense, that's true. After all, I'm a creature, and I'm not the creator. I'm finite, not infinite. But in another sense, that totally dishonors God. And it totally lines me up to live with a wrong heart. Because I become so concerned about how do I hold on to, how do I get more, whether it's time or energy or money or you fill in the blank, whatever the currency is, it's like, I gotta have more of that, I gotta keep that, I can't give that away because then I won't have it and I need it. That's an easy mindset to have and it's an unbiblical mindset because God is infinite. Think about this, Romans 8, right? This isn't, this isn't a slogan on a, on a um, you know, like a televangelist t-shirt. It's not a bumper sticker that you see on the back of a $95,000 car that someone has said, here's what God's done. And, and that's not to say God can't give you a $95,000 car. He can do that. But there's a whole approach to issues of generosity and so on that is very selfish. And it would be easy to then take certain verses out of context. This is a verse in context. This is one that they like to take out of context, but it's a verse in context. In Romans chapter 8, it says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs of Christ. I'm a child of the King. I am an heir of everything. There is literally no limit to what I have access to. He is the God who has infinite wealth and infinite power and infinite wisdom, and he is my father. And that's not just some theological category that sounds nice, but it stays remote. It's not like I am a fellow heir with Jesus himself, the eternal son. I have access to everything that God is and has. That's foundational. If I can really come to grips with that, that will help me so much when it comes to things like, am I really generous? Am I willing to give of myself? Am I willing to sacrifice? Am I willing to offer what I have in my wallet or what I have in 
my day timer. Now, I use that in the first service as someone who was over 50 came out and said, you're not going to use that in the second service, right? Because they're not going to know what that is. <laughs> so a day timer, before we had these, we had these. And we would take them and we'd, we'd put them on something called paper and you'd write, you'd write your schedule out. It's like, here's what time I have and here's how I'm going to spend it. That was a day timer. It was a special book for that, right? So whether it's your Google Calendar or whatever you're using or your day timer because you're still old school. I still actually have one. I prefer that because I'm just old. Um, am I willing to open that up? Am I willing to invest that? Am I willing to share that or do I have to hoard it because I feel like I don't have enough time? I don't have enough money. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough energy, right? And I think if I come to grips with I am actually an heir of God. That blows all of those things up. None of those things are true. Now, it, it doesn't, it's not an invitation to recklessness. It's not an invitation to naivete or foolishness. There are still limits that God has put in place. But those limits are not the starting point. World, my worldview is not run through the grid of money. It's run through the grid of God. My worldview is not run through the grid of my own limitation. It's run through the grid of God. Now, he's given me limitations, and I do need to honor those, but there may be times that he actually calls me out beyond those and will sustain me beyond them. I only have so much time. I only have so much money. But there may be things he says, but if you'll do this, watch. I have a whole new math you haven't been exposed to. I can fix that, right? If I come to grips with the fact that the infinite king in the universe is my father, I think it really helps me because it is so easy to, in principle, say, I want to be generous. I see that's where God is. I want to be willing to give my time. I want to be willing to give my energy. I want to be willing to give my resources. But I'm just so limited. I don't think I can. This shifts the conversation. I, I'm not supposed to meet every need. There's plenty of times I need to say no and plenty of places there needs to be a boundary. But the starting point is what does God actually want from me in this moment? And am I open? Am I willing? Am I actually generous with what he's given me? So I thought, let's maybe try to make that a little more concrete. Because when we talk about God, we immediately go into infinite terms that we all affirm and go, yes, and I have no idea what that means. At the end of the day, if you understand God, then you absolutely don't understand God. He is, uh, he is actually ineffable. He's, he cannot be adequately expressed. That's just one of his many I don't get it aspects. But there are analogies, appropriate analogies, that we can draw that will at least begin to give us an understanding before our circuits all blow up that will maybe help us make it real. Because these theological grand overarching statements and categories, while they are true and should be defining, they don't always connect in our heart. So I want to just look at God's adequacy and, and, and the fact that there isn't a scarcity in three key areas that I think affect us in, in um, our generosity. One is money. That's the starting point because that's what the passage is specifically dealing with. Then I also want to talk about time and I want to talk about energy and just say, what is it that as, as a child of God, what is he promising me and, and um, what can I expect and how does that help me be generous? So uh, if you want to take your Bible, go ahead and open to uh, Philippians chapter 4, please. 
I'm going to point you to one verse there. I'm going to read another short passage as we talk about money and generosity. If I don't have a scarcity mindset, and I understand that God's in this, uh, how does that shift maybe my heart a little bit? So in uh, 2 Corinthians 9, where I'm going to read, uh, it's the longest section in Scripture on giving, chapters 8 and 9. And uh, there's this place where he's kind of beginning to wind things up. And he's saying, look, the point is this. I'm actually reading now. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. He's talking about money and giving. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that you have all sufficiency in all things at all times, that you may abound in every good work, right? So that takes little me and puts God into it, and now it's all, 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 every all, all. It's overwhelmingly big sentence. As it is written, he's distributed freely, is given to the poor, the righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us all will produce thanksgiving to God. In other words, he's saying you can be generous because God is going to keep putting it into your pocket so you can keep handing it over. That's a promise. Now, it is not an excuse for recklessness. It's a discerning giving, but it is not a, 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 a fearful giving. It's not a, I got to hold on tight giving. It is, I am completely entrusting myself to God, and as I'm discerning what he's calling me to do, he will more than make it possible. He's made that as a direct promise. You have a verse in front of you, also coming out of a context of giving, a little shorter, a little easier to keep track of. Uh, if you want to read verse 19, it says, my God shall supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. In Christ, we have all this great wealth, his riches and glory, um, but the specific application point is actually talking about money there. So I got to thinking, how rich is God? Right, and infinite. Okay, yes, that's true. He's got everything. Yes, that's true. But those, I don't connect with those things. I'm trying to get at least a little bridge of connection that'll help my heart to go, oh. So I'm thinking, what does it look like to be super wealthy so that you never have to have any thing hold you back? Bill Gates, for instance, has gone around to all kinds of ultra-wealthy people, and he's targeted everyone who's got a net worth of $500 million or more, because he said it doesn't, beyond that, it's just numbers, 500 million or 500 billion, it doesn't matter. So give away half your money, you'll be fine. Now, I've not experienced that yet, you know, maybe, someday, I'm kind of doubtful, so I'll have to take his word for it. So for him, the line is $500 million, at least as a person, and it doesn't matter. But let's, let's take it up a notch and say, but there's things, you know, if we're opening the door wide to anything, what does it look like to have essentially an, an, a limitless resource base? Is there anything I can connect with? What's the richest thing, the richest entity I'm familiar with? Well, that's the United States. It's the richest country in the world. The gross domestic product. When you want to talk about wealth in terms of income, that's what you talk about. And the GDP of the U.S. is going to be around $25.5 trillion this year, which is about $6 trillion or so ahead of China. It's about $5 trillion ahead of the U.K. and EU together. Right? It, it's, it's the biggest income. 
If you want to know who makes the most money in the world, it is the entity called the United States, $25.5 trillion. Now, if you had a need financially that you needed to meet and you had the entire income of the United States backing you up, is there any reason that money itself would be an issue? No. What's God's income? That's where I get a little goofy. Actually, a little stupid. But I think the stupid is kind of on purpose because our hang-ups are kind of stupid. Because God is actually infinite. But I tried to bring it down to some sort of terms that maybe we could begin to understand. So God does have an annual income, number of ways. For instance, um, nugget of gold. This is, by the way, pyrite. I don't have a nugget of gold this size. If I did, that would be nice. That's worth more than my car. And my wife's car combined, actually, if, uh, if that were gold, right? But God is, uh, is, is getting nuggets of gold every year because every time a star blows up, a supernova happens, uh, essentially, it's not gathered all together, but if you did, it would be a nugget of gold the size of the moon. How much is a nugget of gold the size of the moon worth, I wondered. Yesterday's prices, 4.6 octillion dollars. Right, the U.S.'s annual income is $25.5 trillion. Trillion, quadrillion, quintillion, sextillion, septillion, octillion. God's income, just in gold. Right, don't get me started on platinum and palladium and all that, because that comes out of a supernova too, but just one supernova explosion gives God if we're going to look at it that way, $4.6 octillion worth of gold. That's a lot. Especially when in this universe, the estimate is that a star goes supernova every 10 seconds. $4.6 octillion right there. There's another $4.6 octillion. Just without stop, God is generating just gold at that level, which means that God's annual income, just in gold, just from supernovas, is 146 trillion times. No, I'm sorry, it's 180 trillion times the entire gross domestic product in the United States. And he's saying, you are my child, and everything that I have is yours. Now, that's a stupid illustration. It really is. And that's the point. When I struggle with, with these kinds of questions, that's really kind of stupid. And that's just God's income. What about God's net worth? You knew I had to do that one too, didn't you? Yep. Yep. It's goofy science morning. So the United States is also the wealthiest country that way. We hear a lot about our debt, and it's staggering, but our assets are greater. So according to Swiss Bank, the U.S. is worth $146 trillion. The next closest country is worth about $90 trillion. So again, here's this opportunity to say, you and I are actually most familiar with the wealthiest thing that we could possibly conceive, and the net worth of our country is about $146 trillion, according to the Swiss bank, and they're kind of known for getting their banking right. Wow, that's a lot of money. What could you do with that? Anything you want. There's no limit. There's, no, there's nothing to hold back. So what's God's net worth? Well, again, it's kind of a dumb question because God is infinite, God, but you knew I had an answer. So, um, and you knew it had to do with astronomy because I have to do it that way, right? 
when a smaller star dies, it's, it leaves behind a carbon crystal, right? You know what carbon crystals are called in nature? Diamonds. So it leaves behind a carbon crystal the size of the Earth. Can you imagine a diamond the size of the Earth, how much that's worth? I have here in my hand, this is not a diamond, obviously. Um, this is just cut glass, but it's roughly the same size as the largest and most valuable diamond in the world, which is a diamond that came out of India. It's hotly debated, but it's in the crown, crown jewels of the British, so they're not exactly excited to cut it out of the crown and hand it back. But that jewel is worth estimated $10 billion. A $10 billion diamond, roughly this size, which is a little over 100 carats. What is a diamond the size of the earth worth, you ask? So, I calculated that. And a diamond the size of the earth, more or less, is worth 95 nonillion dollars, right? Billion, trillion, quadrillion, quintillion, sextillion, septillion, octillion, nonillion. Right? That's like nine. That's a big number. That's the, and that's how much God has in one diamond the size of the earth. That's God's net worth in diamonds in one place. And that by itself is about 6.5 quintillion times the net worth of the United States. Only, you know, I had to go here. There are about 10 billion white dwarves in our galaxy. And there's perhaps 200 billion galaxies. So take United States income or worth, multiply it by 6.5 quintillion, multiply that by 10 billion, multiply that by 200 billion. That's God's net worth in diamonds. As a, you know, it's like, well, that's so dumb. That's exactly the point. It is so dumb. Why is it that I struggle? It, it's understandable that I would struggle, but part of, part of letting go of that struggle is understanding there is not a scarcity. We are not going to run out. God is in control, and if God is calling me to do something, he is resourced adequately. He is resourced adequately. When it comes to things like finances, there's a lot of questions that come into play. We as a church, for instance, don't turn our nose up at, at wisdom and say it's all about faith because faith involves a lot of aspects, including wisdom. That's why our budget every year is set by what we brought in this year, right? If our income goes down, went down slightly last year, so our budget went down. But there's also part of the budget process that we faithfully do that says unless God really makes it clear, we should do something else. And so there's this season of prayer and wrestling to say, do you have something else in mind? You do lead us through the limitations you've placed on us, but you also sometimes call us to new places, and you're more than capable of doing anything you want, and we'll trust you in that. At one time, he actually prompted us, and we did something totally different, and he was obviously in it. It was clear, right? God is not limited. When I wrestle with my own generosity, when we as a church wrestle with our own generosity, we look at things through our very limited world. And we have to. But we also have to remember we are joiners with Jesus. And so if I, if God calls me to do something, it's not a call to be foolish, but if I'm convinced God's actually calling me to do this, I can do it. He's got it covered. 
not a guarantee that he's going to give that back to me, by the way. He's got me covered. He has a whole plan. But he can give that back to me. He can give that back to me and many, many times more, and he sometimes does. So I have to come back to the question for me and for you. It says, urge the rich in this world to be generous. When it comes to my finances, am I, am I generous? Is my heart open? My hand open? Am I willing? Or do I have a scarcity mindset that keeps tripping me up? And am I forgetting that God has got, he's got this. He's got this. Again, I cannot stress this enough because I think some people run with this concept and then they go nuts. This is not a call to recklessness. This is a call to real faith. And it's a call to go where God's leading me, not where I think we ought to go. I think one of the dangers is that we kind of make up our plan, blame it on God, then expect him to do something spectacular, and that's just wrong. But as his people, we are heirs. And according to his riches and glory, he is able to and committed to meet every need that comes with following him. And I can relax in that. Time, that's another one. Um, If you want to turn over to John chapter 11. Time is a scarce resource. In fact, at a certain point in life, um, A, you've lived long enough that hopefully if you've lived faithfully, um, unless you're rich, money doesn't just go away. But you're not living paycheck to paycheck anyway, so you spend a little less time concerned about the money. And as that happens, typically my experience is you spend a whole lot more time concerned about time itself. How much time do I have? How much time can I give? Can I get this done? Right? And I want to read this couple of verses to us and remind us of these truths because we're anchored in God, right? So John eleven twenty five, 25, Jesus is talking to Martha. And I won't give the whole context. You're familiar with it or you can read it. But Jesus said to her, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Do I really believe I have eternal life, that I will live forever? If that's actually my belief, why is time an issue? I will not run out of time. I will live forever. The sun will have turned into a giant diamond about five billion years from now if God doesn't intervene, and I'll still be just as vibrantly alive as I was today. Actually, more. Time's not an issue. Now, we can quickly say, and and we should certainly call this out, yeah, but I only have so long here. That's my concern. I only have so much time here. And that's a real concern. But let me remind you of a couple things. When Jesus is praying in John 17, the high priestly prayer, you remember what he says? He says, I have accomplished the work you gave me to do. It's done. I did it all. Right? And this is Jesus who at times would say, hey, I need to keep moving because we've got a mission to do here. But he was also very interruptible. So when Bartimaeus is on the side of the road calling out and the whole parade is going through and everyone's telling Bartimaeus, shut up, he doesn't have time for you. He stops, he says, no, no, send him over to me. I've got time for him. When he's going to a house to heal a little girl, he actually lets her die and then raises her from the dead. 
because there's a woman who's, who's tried to, if you will, steal a miracle and, and she's been healed, but she's not been restored in any meaningful way in her relationship with God or the culture. And so he calls her out and he rehumanizes her. And he stops everything and he takes the time for her. When the children are coming to him, his disciples say, he doesn't have time for this. He says, whoa, stop, bring them, bring them. So Jesus is able to get everything done that's assigned to him and he's interruptible. It's not like this tightly scripted, everything is just gonna go smoothly according to our plan, but he's got enough time to do what God has called him to do. Now, admittedly, Jesus is God in flesh. He's perfect. But doesn't Paul say the same thing? Well, Paul's better than me, I'll grant you that. But he's still human. And he, at the end, he says, I have finished my course. I did it, right? There are no more emails, and my desk is clear. The job site is cleaned up, and the tools are put away. The kids are in bed, and the household is in order. I finished my last appointment, and I'm heading home. I'm done. Not walking away half done, it's finished, it's completed. Here's the reality. God has given every single one of us every single moment that we actually need to do what we're here to do. I struggle primarily for two reasons, I think. One is I forget that. And I let the ticking of time scare me. Like, no, I've got enough time. The other thing is I can get addicted to trying to um, co-opt God's schedule and turn it into mine for something else. Well, then I don't have time because he's given me the time that I need for what matters the most. But his, his plan for my life is also the one that will bring me the most joy, the most happiness, the most satisfaction, the most richness. It is not, it is not giving up anything to walk his path. It just sometimes feels that way. That's one of the things I have to wrestle with. Right? So sometimes... I let my fear of there's not enough time shut down my heart of generosity. Why would I do that? Now, this is not an invitation to just be codependent and overfunction. That's actually sin, you know that? Because I'm trying to be God. But it's also not an excuse to say, well, then I'm just going to withdraw and be self-protective. It's like, no. God has a pathway. He made me who I am, and so he understands what I need, and he's also able to make up for me when I am not able to have that need met. And the number one question, these other factors still come into play. Boundaries and and wise choices. What are the God appointments? Those are the kinds of questions that have to do with my time. But at the end of the day, the number one question is, do I have, not do I have time, but is this what I'm being called to do? If so, then how is the time going to work? is critical. Sometimes discerning a question may boil down to time, right? I only have so much time, and I've got to do this or this. I can't do both, and unless God, unless God somehow releases me from that, that's real. But the starting point is not, I don't have time. I just shut down and turn self-protective. I'm supposed to be generous. That's a struggle for me. Remember years ago, I was at a chapel, and there was a retiring missionary who came through, 
And uh, he was telling a story how God met him, and it was about his struggle with time, and yet he trusted God, and God met the need, right? He, uh, he graduated from uh, his Bible training and was heading to the mission field. He was really excited about that, but he was on staff at a church when the pastor left, and they said, would you be our interim pastor? It's like, oh, I love these people. I love ministry, but I'm supposed to go. I'm supposed to go reach whatever people, and no, 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 no. But internally, there was this check, and he kept coming back to it saying, I think that's actually what God is calling me to do, but I don't want to. I will be behind everyone else, right? Not a competition, but just anxious to get out there, and there's a whole bunch of them leaving the school, and they're all going to go reach the world, and, and I'm going to be the last one out there, and I wanted to get out there now, and if I do this, I'm, it's, it's just going to mess up my whole time schedule. But he was a faithful anyway. He said, well, I guess it's your time schedule. I don't understand how this works. So he, he interrupted for two years at the church. At the end of that time, the church was thriving. God blessed. The church said, hey, we'll just do your full support. He was the first one out to the field. He beat everyone else out there, right? God has creative ways of doing things. Time is not my problem. I do have a limited time in this world. I do need to steward it. We're told in Ephesians 5, you know, to really watch out for time because the days are evil. This is important. But at the end of the day, I have the time that I need to do what God wants me to do. If I settle that, it can help lower my anxiety and open my heart. And in that context, I'm actually going to be better able to hear what is God actually asking of me in this moment, right? Am I, am I generous? Am I generous with my time? Last one that I, I tend to struggle with is energy, right? And so let me, I'll read these verses for you because of time. We're running out. Um, so in Ephesians 1, verse 18, um, he talks about having your eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. He's saying, look, my power is at work in you. The immeasurable power of God, the very same power that brought Christ back to life. When we talk about ability, when we talk about energy, when we talk about power, we are to be empowered by God, and that power is limitless. I need to remember that, right? When, when Paul is talking about, here's my, here's my life goal, to make disciples, paraphrasing here, but into the Colossians chapter 1, he's saying, I'm doing all of this according to God's mighty power that's at work in me. I'm not doing this in my strength. It's a God thing. Whatever I'm called to do, if that's what God's calling me to do, he's got the power to do it. Now, if I'm feeble, if, I, you know, if I'm sick, those are all part of, the, part of the discernment process, right? We don't dismiss those things. We just right-size them. We put them in a different spot, and say, God is able to do anything. What is he calling me to do in this place? Because I don't, I'm not actually limited by power the way that I think I am. And by the way, Paul also said, and isn't it true that God's power is made perfect in my weakness? Sometimes the very willingness to step into something that I am way over my head is exactly God's plan. And he's going to do something great. This is not a call, again, to recklessness. There's a discernment process. I am a creature, not the creator. I can't do everything. I'm not supposed to do everything. My limitations are, in fact, given to me by God. They are part 
of my discernment process. But my heart is guarded, I think, when I back up and say, I'm an heir of the king of the universe. All of these things that are limitations are only relatively so because he's able to do anything and everything, and that's not just theoretical. And it's not just some grand theological statement that may be true but doesn't connect. It's like he actually can give me what I need. He can give me what I need to do what I'm called to do. He can give me what I need to give what I'm called to give. He can work out the details so that I am able to accomplish everything I'm supposed to do. And as hard as that is, I can keep my heart open more easily. If I don't fall into the lie of this scarcity, I'm going to run out. If I am with God, I will not run out. And if what I run out of when I'm with him troubles me, it's because I'm looking in the wrong place. He intended that to run out because there's something else he's doing. So, are we generous? You and I, are we as a church generous? That's the question. Let me give you two things to think about. And I'm going to have the ushers come and we're going to take our offering. So if you guys would like to go ahead and start coming, that'd be great. My two questions are this. Is there something where God is prodding you right now to say it's, it's time to step into something fresh? Trust my resource. Maybe it has to do with your money. Right? We just sent out a, a, a letter about opportunities. Um, that, this wasn't timed with that, by the way. That's just the year end. This was timed because Thanksgiving. The fact that God has abundantly blessed and will never stop abundantly blessing, that's the only thing that allows us to really anchor here. That's why this sermon is next to Thanksgiving. But there is a, there's a giving letter out there. If God's prompting you financially, here's an opportunity. Some really amazing things that you could be involved in. Maybe it's not that. Maybe it has to do with your time, your, your day timer, or your Google Calendar, right? Open that up a bit for this person, for this opportunity. Maybe it's your, you're concerned about your energy and God says, I, I can sustain you. Are you willing to let him do that? Am I willing to, to be generous? And then the second thing kind of takes it up a notch. I suspect for some of us, maybe God prompts us to say, it's time to, time to do a little faith experiment. Nothing reckless. But I'm prodding you. It's time to step out. Are you willing to do that? And let him show himself faithful? Are you willing to be generous with whatever it is he's calling you to be generous? Lord, thank you for your grace and your mercy. Lord, I pray for my own heart. You help me to be generous and that we as your people would be defined by that same willingness to give that you have. Lord, may we trust you, may we be wise, but may our trust be in you, not in our wisdom. May we be faithful. Lord, as we give these gifts, would you use them for the sake of your name? I pray in, pray in that name, amen.